You're listening to The Voice of Dog. I'm Kaki, your faithful fireside companion, and today's story is Abstinence by Anhedral. Most of his stories, including this one, can be found at furaffinity.net slash user slash anhedral. Please enjoy Abstinence by Anhedral. John rubs his eyes and squints blarily at the clock. It's 2 a.m. He sighs, reaching for the well-watered glass of whiskey just by the laptop's side, but then he stops to think about it and pushes the liquor away. It doesn't help the writing, not one bit, and he really wants to finish this chapter tonight. He's not even sure why he poured himself that drink at all. Just a few more paragraphs will see it done. Then, tomorrow night, the final edits. He'll get the story finished then for sure. His characters beckon once again, their clamour altogether more plausible and addictive than any alcohol. They're as impossible to resist tonight as when he first heard them calling to him all those months ago. John hunches over the keyboard and conjures them anew with febrile, trembling fingers. Eventually, thirty minutes later, he's there. The heating switched off hours before and the house is as cold and dark as a tomb. John creeps back down the stairs and into bed. Chloe, of course, is sound asleep. He endeavours not to wake her, but in this he fails, for she curses him and mutters, rolling away. He curls his shivering body up into a ball and pleads with urgent supplication that the coming hours will be kind. Have you ever tried, you know, have you ever tried, well, not being a writer? He blinks at her across the breakfast table, spoonful of cereal halted in midair. It's killing us, John. You know that, right? The words come tumbling out, each etched with an acid bite. He wonders absently how long she's been holding them in. You're up in that study every damn night. Silly, fuzzy stories. Tap, 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 right into the small hours. I hardly see you anymore. Furry. What? They're furry stories. Hun, she slaps the table, eyes aflame. Don't you dare honey me. Fuzzy, furry, I don't care. And don't you dare expect me to believe that bullshit about the stories helping with the nightmares, because that makes absolutely no sense at all. Nightmares. It's what she chooses to call them. Oh, if she could only know. Chloe sighs, shuts her eyes, and props her head with one hand, elbow on the table. You're always tired, every morning, and after work each day, it's, it's, like, it's like I'm losing you, and there's not a single thing that I can do. A deep breath and a sigh then, frayed and edgy. Say I'm stupid if you want, but sometimes I think those stories are your children now. The kids we never had. Whoa, 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 that's new. He stares at her, aghast, but before he can draw breath to answer, she cuts him off once more. There's something else. Richard phoned last night. Wait, what? Rich, from work? He phoned here? That's right, John, Rich from work. He's worried about you. She meets his eyes again. Says your creative writing is affecting your performance. It's uh, infecting your advice to government. He gasps, and she wags a single finger in his face. Ah, uh -uh, his words, not mine. What else did he say now? She frowns for a moment. Oh, yes. I don't care what he does in his own time, but there's no place for alliteration and metaphor in official memoranda. She flings up her hands, words failing, then grabs her plate and bowl, strides over to the sink and tosses the dirties in. There's a splash and a sharp crack, and he winces. Enough. He cares very little about his work anymore, but he can't bear to see her like this. He'll find some other way to deal. 
All right. No more stories. I'll stop. Right now. Today. She cranes her head round slowly and sees that he's for real. Hands sudsy and dripping, she steps quickly up to him, eyes wide. She flings her arms around and kisses him, violent, despairing, still daring to hope. I miss your stories. It's been, what, two weeks now? They've been practicing low-level flights all afternoon, flexing wings just so to ride the boundary layer six inches from the ocean's face. As always, John's instructor has been patient itself. Now, however, he simply sounds determined. This abstinence, uh, I can't help but feel that you're missing the bigger picture. Your stories helped you live in this world, and in the other, too. I understand that. And for her sake, you've stopped writing them. I get that as well. His friend's head turns to catch his eye. John feels a small chill settle on him, though the sun's as bright as ever on his skin. But whether you write or no, it cannot make a difference, not in the end. Sometime soon, you'll have to make a choice. No one can remain split as you are, not for very long. John sighs, losing focus. His wingtip dips and clips a wave, and spray flies up in a rainbow gleam. I love my time here, you know that. He blinks out the sea salt, caking the edges of his eyes. I wouldn't give it up now, not for anything. But I love her too. I will not see her hurt. That earns a gruff grunt in reply. And how's she going to feel when the medicine isn't working for you anymore and you really do some serious damage to yourself? Trust a friend to nail it with that question. Does she show any inclination to understand this? The question's gentle. An honest inquiry, no edge at all. Any sensitivity that you can see? John sighs. No, I've tried, my friend. Goodness knows I've tried. The memories flood back. So many recent discussions dissolving into tears. So many shouting matches and afterwards, when the words don't work anymore, the tension in the silent air between them, deadly tight. They fly on then in quiet for a spell, wingtip to wingtip. The only sound, the whisper of wind on scale and skin and the distant, mocking cackles of the gulls. I'm sorry, John. It's never easy, not at first. But I don't think it's the stories that you need to give up. John glances over to catch his companion's eye. It's this whole life that you need to leave behind, either this one or the other. The way I see it, you really can't have both. John takes a big breath, deliberate and slow. Deep down he already knows his friend's words to be true. This impossible choice has in fact been clawing at him for some time, deep-rooted, unspoken and appalling. How can he possibly choose between two halves of himself? He shuts his eyes, and for a moment, just a moment, he can put the choice aside. For, after all, when he looks within, all he can see is the same old John. The same faithful, loving husband, the minor civil servant, Mr. Average of Suburbia. The same perfect incarnation of flight itself, with a soul sparked into being at merest touch of cumulus and thermal. Um, John? Please, no, please, just a few minutes longer. He's not ready to choose, not right now. It's time for you to go, my friend. He snaps his eyes open. Already the mist is rising quickly in the west, the same dread pattern as every time before. No, too soon. I don't want to leave right now. But his friend has already flicked his wing, arcing up 
and round in a graceful climbing turn and pulling back. I'll see you again soon. The voice is faint and distant now. Promise me you'll think about it. Please? All right, all right, John cries. I will. The mist's a solid wall before him. Deep breath now, before he hits a good deep breath and... and... Jonathan? It's the middle of the night and someone is shaking his arm. His wife... Yes, that's distinctly a hand with fingers. His wife is shaking his arm. John, love? He shudders and blinks and rolls over on the sweat-drenched sheet, groaning as the waves of nausea crash through him. His heart's an offbeat jackhammer pounding in his chest. He can hear as well as feel it, for his ears still roar and sing in time. Or perhaps it's just the memory of the tumbling waves. A bad one, this. Probably his worst one yet. On a scale of foul awakenings, he'd give it a solid ten. His vision swims. Fumbling, he yanks the bedclothes aside. The cool air is a balm upon his clammy thighs. As the shocks that rack him slowly subside, he heaves himself into an awkward semi-squat and becomes aware, dimly, of his once mate perched on the mattress edge, her former petite, tense shadow wound mainspring tight. Here. She presses two small pills into his palm, sets the glass of water down close by. Heard you crying out in here? She rubs her eyes and sighs. Actually, I think the neighbors probably heard you this time too. He can't bring himself to care about the neighbors and makes a desperate stab at humor. Whatever must they think we're up to, do you think? As soon as the words are out, he knows they're wrong and he curses himself inwardly. Chloe gasps but lets it slide, instead drawing a stronger breath. They're getting worse, aren't they? The nightmares? He no longer has the strength left to correct her and she takes his silence as acknowledgement enough. She stands abruptly, turns back to her own room, but at the door she pauses, hangs her head, and faces him once more. John, I think you'd better start writing your stories again. The breeze is a quirky, gusting nor'westerly, and with wind against tide the waves are choppy and confused. Cloud shadows and shafts of sunlight dance across the sea, a stage set five miles wide. Its curtains are the rain squalls on the far horizon. Three circuits of the stacks without a single wingbeat is his goal today. It seems impossible, but of course he will attempt it. His body cries out to him to fly, and it's a call that cannot be denied. He loves this body. When he thinks of himself, he pictures mostly wing, two wings, in fact, twenty feet in span, all told. When he's grounded, they fold awkwardly, twin fleshy sails arcing up and over an ungainly body that's never quite at ease upon the ground. Aloft. Well, that's quite another thing entirely. Paired, curving swords is how they seem. Long and narrow, potent blades of bone and skin and sinew. They speak to him constantly in the eloquent and universal tongue of lift and drag of turbulence and angle of attack. When he beats to windward, his tendons tense and strum. When he turns downwind, the air strokes him like a lover's dear caress. His wings will serve him for a while, if he asks politely. They will mate him to the very skies, bring him from the tumbling surf to the realms of all the gods. In return, they ask only that he is respectful and shows the proper skill. It seems to him a grossly unfair trade. 
The rest of him is there to serve the wings as powerhouse or control service and not get in the way. A barreled torso, muscle-packed, long streamlined neck, skull and muzzle elongate. His redundant legs trail out behind. After them, the tail. Concentrate, John. Dreaming will not get it done. Oh yeah, he's forgotten his instructor, perched upon the outmost stack. It takes him most of the day to accomplish the flight as tasked, but he doesn't count the hours. Afterwards, he dozes on the strand in what little remains of the light, his muscles tired and aching in the best of all possible ways. Eventually, his friend's voice comes to him, but softly, dreamlike, a seeming monologue. I haven't been very fair to you. Hmm? He doesn't really process the words at first, head still up somewhere in the clouds. We can't fight all our battles on our own. You shouldn't have to face this choice alone. <laughs> Don't really see I have much option here. John stifles a huge yawn. This is your world after all. When I leave, you cannot follow. The other turns to face him, their muzzles briefly touch. There are always choices, his friend murmurs softly. And then, brightening, come on, there's time for a little flying yet. John doesn't understand, but he doesn't think to query. The two rise up together into the evening sky. Thirty minutes later, when his friend ignores all of his implorings and drives his wings to fly with him into the mist, John understands. But by then it is, of course, already far too late. Chloe snaps on the light and screams. It's the middle of the night, and there's a monster in her husband's bed. It shrieks out to the darkness in a voice that's prehistoric and utterly inhuman. The demon scrabbles, and it scratches, its long wings thrash. Pictures fly from off the walls. The ceiling lamp tears free, and in the crazy arcs of brightness, long claws grope for a hold. Sheets turn instantly to ribbon. Pillows burst in clouds of feather down. The crisis subsides. The creature draws breath, panting. It fixes her with a binocular stare from its toothed and snout-like muzzle, then blinks, then croons, and then, oh gods, there's another of the beasts, beating frantically at the closed window from outside. Instantly the creature on the bed cries out anew, spins round, leaps for the window ledge. It claws a desperate purchase with one foot, rakes frantically at the latch with the other. In another moment the sash is thrown up all the way, hard enough to smash the panes. Cool night air gusts in upon the ruined room. The impossible body somehow folds itself into the gap, first one wing and then the other. It glances at her one more time, eyes like moons, before launching with its partner back into the night. After a month, Chloe stops crying herself to sleep each night. She counts it as a forward step. She hasn't told a soul about the strange happenings of four weeks ago, for after all, who would ever believe her? She reported John as missing two days after his departure, as soon as it became apparent he wasn't coming back. By then she'd swept up all the scales, binned the ruined bedclothes, fixed the window frame and glass. She is certain now that it was John that night. On calmer reflection, and once the daylight came, she recognized the creature clearly from his tales. She still has days when she barely trusts her own memory. But then she only has to run her fingers over the window ledge to feel, just beneath the new paint and the filler, the outlines of the triple gougers ripped deep into the wood. Tonight, however, she would discover that not everything can be so quickly painted over. 
She's flying with her mates low over the waves this fine midsummer evening, the last of the warmth lending lift beneath her wings. John still gets upset if she strays far from his side, or, for that matter, very far from shore. He frets so adorably that her flight skills need more work. But she knows better. She'll be flying circles all around him before long. They're prospecting nesting caves. She's delighted with the one John's chosen as his favourite, but she hasn't told him yet. It's fun to watch him squirm and guess, for a little while at least. And she doesn't mind one bit, as he tells her of the stories he's already hatching, strong heroic tales most fitting for a fledgling's ears. Chloe blinks awake in her lonely bed, heart pounding in the darkness, with half details of the strangest dream still swirling in her mind. Her eyes sting, and there's crusty glaze upon her lips. Curious, she puts out her tongue and tastes the sea. This was Abstinence by Anhedral, read for you by Kaki, your faithful fireside companion. You can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.